gorgeous Georgian goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Sunday night for your Monday morning delivery. Excited to talk with you for the next hour or so as we discuss UFC 281, which took place this past Saturday night in New York City. Two title fights, one hell of a feature bout, lots of finishes, lots of dust, lots to discuss, lots of violence. Holy cow. I needed all day today to recover Goes from what was a very hectic fight week. A very fun fight night, along with our watch-along, and then, of course, all the news that kind of spilled out little by little uh, during the post-fight. I'm sure you're ready to get into it as well. For sure. This is going to be a good one. Yeah. It's MMA Junkie Radio on a Sunday, November 13th, for your Monday, November 14th delivery. Listen, man, let's just jump right into it. We're going to start at the top. That's the meaty part of the card, right? But there was some interesting stuff that unfolded throughout the night. So I want to get to it all. Even that vicious KO from Carl's Ulberg uh, over Nico Nigamuranu. <laughs> that, that really set the tone for the night. But we got to start with this historic fight in the middleweight division. Alex Pajeda. Sorry, Alex Pereira defeated Israel Adesanya via TKO punches in the fifth round. So let me say a few things, and then you can unpack it all. Okay. Israel, so Pajeda is now 3-0 versus U, uh, Israel Adesanya. 2-0 in kickboxing, 1-0 in the UFC, or in MMA, I guess. He is now the middleweight champion. and But in this fight, you know, it was fun. I loved it. It was very tactical. It had some violence to it. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. All right. I have nothing but great things to say about Israel Asanya. But boy, does it gotta be painful for Israel because in those two kickboxing fights that he lost, one was a decision that you could argue, yeah, Israel won. The other one where he got knocked out was a fight that Israel was doing good in. And in this one, he was up 3-1, according to the official scorecards, uh, going into round five. And in round, and, and I felt like going into round five, he was taking momentum with him. So, that I mean, it's got to like, of course it stings, but it's got to really, really, really sting the last style bender, the way this unfolded. Um, very similar to what we saw with Kamaru Usman and uh, Leon Edwards. I think it would sting if uh, all three of them were decisions, right? But getting knocked out cold in the kickboxing fight, and then this one, I mean, a lot of people felt like maybe they could have let the fight go a little bit longer. I disagree. I think he was pretty much done, and I think uh, the referee saved him from what could have been even way worse, something yeah. that we might not even be talking about a rematch for a while um 
I think it's absolutely devastating. It really is. You know, it's it's I'm glad he took the route he took leading into the fight saying, "Hey, Alex has got the right to talk as much smack as he wants, you know. Izzy didn't really talk it up as much as he normally does. He was confident, but there's a difference between being confident and cocky. And Izzy wasn't cocky going into this fight. He got a little cocky during the fight. There were times where, and rightfully so, like you said, he was ahead on the judges' scorecards. He almost finished the fight in round one. Yeah. The guy, the guy was pretty masterful here. He just let his guard down, man, at the end of the fight. And he lost that fight. And, uh, yeah, dude, I I think he's absolutely devastated. And in round three, I believe, remember, he took down Pajeda, and Pajeda had no answer for getting up from that. You know, it's not like Habib was on top of him. It was Israel Adesanya, but Israel Adesanya was able to maintain a top position. So he was, he had told us, I can hurt this guy when he almost finished him in round one. If he had a few more seconds, one more punch, and that guy's out. I can hurt this guy. If I take him down, I can hold him down and 10 9 him that way. I have taken some of his best punches. I'm cool. And I don't think there would be an argument that he also had the better gas tank coming out of round five. You know, he was probably the yeah. fresher fighter. Um, how this, how we're not talking about Israel Adesanya's sixth title defense still <laughs> boggles my mind. And it sucks, man, because I was ready to come here and heap all kinds of praises on him because he went for it. He took risks. He backed up what he claims, and that's that he's this, you know, great striker, you know, who can put your lights out and and will will try and do it and has so many tools. This guy was doing question mark kicks, head kicks. He was boxing, you know, elbows off the clinch, uh, calf kicks. Just, I mean, he really threw his arsenal out there against the guy that was just as dangerous as him, but yet his uh, defense was holding up and he was winning the rounds and he was just ready, ready to be crowned a sixth time as a UFC middleweight champion, six title defense uh, overtake probably Alex Volkanovsky in the pound for pound rankings for the UFC maintain in the USA today sports and MMA junkie rankings. And what happened? Pajeda caught him, you know, he hit him with this, very hard to describe left hand where it was a sharp left hook early in the fight, but then it just became like a scoop punch. So basically not a straight jab, but not an uppercut, but just kind of like, here's a heavy left hand. There's your face. Boom. You know, just Mm -hmm. he would hit him. And when he would hit him, he would move Izzy back. He just packs power. But a lot of times Izzy was able to do whatever it took footwork, head movement to get out of the way of those and, and not allow other punches to hurt him. In this instance, he got hit by a left and then a barrage of punches um, that that signaled the end of the fight. Now, where I, I will disagree with Goes is I, I did want it to go a little bit longer. I felt like Izzy still was doing some head movement, even though he was hurt. Yes, he got hit. Yes, eyes rolled back. Yes, I could tell he was on wobbly legs, but he still had his instincts with him. He still moved his head, you know, um, and and when the ref stopped it, he immediately threw his hands up as if to say, what are you doing? You know, which showed me that he was still there. Now, would, would it have uh, changed the outcome? I don't think so. I think Alex was on his way to probably hitting him a few more times. And then that one could have been a, a, a really, really bad KO. But maybe not, too. You know, maybe he gets a hold of him. 
Maybe he uh, swings a wild hook and Pajeda has to back off. You know, we, we don't know. We, we, we don't know what would have happened. More than likely, he would have been finished anyway, but I I, I did think it was a, a little bit early. Now, not enough for me to, uh, you know, cry that an injustice took place. No, no, not, nothing like that. It's just on the shorter end of of what I would say is a, a stoppage that that is to my palate. Looking straight down is not intelligently defending yourself. So I, I'm okay with it, man. His, his arms may have reacted, but his legs didn't. You know, he was still kind of wobbly. So I, I'm good with it. But this whole situation boggles my mind. Because I don't even know how, like, okay, this was yesterday, man. Like, I still haven't processed this. I don't know what this means. Yeah, it means Pereira is the, the better fighter. But is he? Like, if there's a rematch, are we all writing down Alex Pereira as as the guy we're taking in our staff picks? Based off of that fight, I don't know. I mean, Izzy was handling him up until the very end. But at the same time, this dude's kind of got his number. I don't know what the hell to do with this. He definitely has his number. But I do want to push back one thing. Let me see what you think of this, what I'm about to say. Would you not say that Pajeda at the end of round one and Chandler at the end of round one were more out than Izzy was in that middle of that barrage of round five. Remember both no. of both Chandler and Pajeda were like, where am I? Like what's going on here? Like they, they needed to be, I think Chandler kind of almost squatted down like a catcher. Um, maybe even thinking the fight was over and, and Pajeda, I remember was just like, Whoa, whoa what's going on here? Um, so I, I thought they were more hurt during during uh th- those times than Izzy was in the middle of that bra. I still feel like Izzy had a little bit of fight and some instinct in him. I don't remember exactly how Chandler looked at the end, but I do remember the end of round one. And the thing about that is Pereira didn't really it all happened so quickly mm-hmm. that there was a, he didn't have the opportunity to maybe shoot in or do something. We don't know how that was gonna I mean, I, I think it probably wouldn't have gone well for him if there were two, three seconds more. But Izzy did have time to react, and his reactions just wasn't cutting it. You know, he was still getting hit. He was still getting tagged. He was still loopy. So, um, yeah, I'm good with it, man. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm good with it, too, but I, I still would have let it go a little bit longer, man. All right. Well, regardless, the fight happened. It is. It is a result of Pajeda now holding his belt, and and that's that. Uh, to answer your question, I'm left with the impression that Israel Adesanya is the, the better fighter. So going into round, well, not round, well, I guess technically round six, but going into the second fight, if you were to tell me, George, you're the odds maker, I would probably favor Izzy, not as much as this fight, where he was like minus 280 or something like that. No, I wouldn't do it as high as that, but I would make israel a favorite because he was winning three rounds the one he looked like he was just better conditioned over five rounds he looked like he had different paths to victory so but but the other guy you know the other guy came to fight man he was prepared um i i I honestly thought that when israel adesanya took over the fight in round three and pajeda didn't really match that intensity in round four i thought he was starting to kind of check out but dude this this is gonna sound ridiculous but 
I might not do I might not favor him as much as this last fight or more, but it'd be pretty damn close because even going forward, now we know another wrinkle, another advantage that Izzy has, and that's if he does take it to the ground, dude, Pereira looked like a fish out of water. And that and that's with Israel Adesanya not looking that much better. Mm. But he did dominate him on the ground. Mm-hmm. So that's even one more check mark you can add there. It's an it's insanity. It really is. Like, because uh, if if Pereira were to walk in this room right now and go, "What are you thinking?" I might go, "I don't know. I'm just I'm crazy." But th- this whole thing just does not make sense. What it does is is it makes things a lot interesting, right? Because I feel like they're gonna fight three times. I feel like there'll be a rematch. I think Izzy's gonna beat him, and then of course you got to do a third one. That's five times. Five times. Figueredo and Marino back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We got some really good middleweights out there doing their thing. But Tori's already asking to run it back with Izzy. He's 0-2 against him, though. Costa and Whitaker, obviously, they're going to be pretty happy with the result because maybe there might be a slight opening there, depending on the health of both guys. But in the post-fight press conference, Dana White was open to it. Israel Adesanya wants to run it back. And I'm sure Alex Pajeda will have... I don't think he'll have much of a problem doing it. Um, how soon? I don't know, but they want to do it. And and again, when a champion's defended five times and he's been as active as he's been, you know, the UFC was claiming that in the last two, three years, I guess, since Adesanya's joined the company, when uh, of all their headlines, Israel Adesanya's headlined one fifth of them. So that's a company man right there. That's somebody that might get a favor in return, but we'll see. All right, we'll see. In the meantime, Pajeda, congrats to you. Way to dig deep. That was pretty outstanding. The group that I was with, they were yelling, hooting, hollering, and I'm sure that's kind of the way it went down uh, all over the world, everybody that tuned into this uh, historic card. Uh, He also got a $50,000 bonus, by the way, which I'll kind of get into in just a sec. I think I'd rather jump to the co-main event. Can I and, say one more thing about that? And then the uh, feature bout, and then we'll start doing a little bit of sweeping up of different things. Yeah, sure. If that fight didn't end the way it did, and Izzy cruised to winning round five, um, and, and I don't mean cruise in the sense that he didn't do nothing. He just he just won round five. I still would have think that was a fun and entertaining main event. Yeah. And I think the card would have been amazing. Yes. But the fact that it ended the way it did elevated it even more. Yeah. The fight does not have to end in a finish. If it does, trust me, that's a whole other level, man, of excitement for fans and media. But it can end in a decision, and we can come in here pretty satisfied that what we were fiending for, what we were wanting, we were given. You know, and a lot of that comes from what you sell us. Uh, Israel sold us in the past a certain type of fight that hasn't kind of played out, and he's taken some heat for it. He's kept his title, which was important to him. But in this case, like I say, had it gone to a decision, I was still ready to go, you're the man. Like, great fight. Take some time off. You know, like, relax a bit. You've had a busy schedule. Uh, you've done your duty. Yeah. But it didn't work out that way. 
Pajeda's the new champ. Let's go to uh, the co-main event. Zhang Wei Li. There's not going to be much to say about this against Carla Esparza. There's a little. There's a little to say. Yeah, well, I mean, they didn't go a full five rounds or anything. The, we had a finish, all right, just like all the fights on the main card. Zhang Wei Li submitted Carla Esparza via rear naked choke in round two. Now, did she whitewash her? No, not necessarily. Carla came to fight. Now, Zhang Wei Li didn't really unleash her potent offense, her potent striking offense, uh, like I thought she would. Instead, she found herself, you know, uh, fighting off takedowns, um, scrambling, grappling on the ground. And after round one, I thought, oh, okay, you know, like put start putting some respect on Carla's name. Well, regardless of how the fight's going to go, she did not get steamrolled. I think a lot of people thought that within two minutes, Carla was going to get steamrolled. And that did not happen. You know, we get to round two. And then all of a sudden, Carla got steamrolled. Um, she found herself kind of in a crucifix position that Zhang Weili was then able to adapt and turn into a, a, a choke from the back. I mean, not a conventional rear naked choke with hooks and all, but still, one arm was trapped. She could not defend. She did get under the chin, and that was it. I thought Carla made a mistake because she was controlling one of her hands, and she appeared to let it go and then only had the one hand to defend against the two because the other one was trapped, and it wasn't enough. It, it She kind of reached for it, but she kind of just gave up. You know, like that, that was it. Um, we were with uh, some fighters and a coach who – kind of broke it down to us, and they felt like there was some things she could have done there that could have at least prevented that choke from happening, maybe not losing her title, uh, turning her head in a certain way, not letting go of that hand. Um, but, you know, we're not the ones that, that are in there against the phenomenal Chinese athlete that is Zhang Weili, man. She is pretty special. Her back takes goes, her ability to just move around, like she's got this cat-like quickness. Mm -hmm. Like literally, uh, like you know, a house cat, but she's got the strength like of a lion, like another type of cat as well. Yeah, you're you're talking about the creme de la creme of this division, and one of the most well-rounded fighters in that division, if not the most well-rounded. And the thing about Carla Sparza, for as ridiculous as it is, all the things that she's been able to accomplish because. She's very highly decorated in that division. Um, in women's mixed martial arts in general, the things that she's done, she's really done most of that through her grappling, right? Through her wrestling. Uh, some of these fighters have been able to develop their hands a little bit. She's just not one of them. You know, she's developed their hands maybe enough to survive certain situations, but she's never really been threatening uh, to the point where you'd say, you know, she may go in there and knock someone out. It's oh. always just kind of enough to set up the wrestling. And props to her for getting as far as she has in her career that way. Uh, but yeah, when you when you start looking at all the check marks, they're all pretty much on Zhang Wei Li's side. I thought Carla did better than I thought she would, and uh, but that's not good enough. You know that she's a competitor. She's not going to be happy with something like that. But at the same time, like if you haven't developed these parts of your game now, it's just not coming, you know. 
Yeah. If we can get to it, we will. But if you want to know what's next for each of these fighters that we've discussed so far, Mike Bond does a good job on his matchmaker pieces on Sunday. You know, he throws out the names of contenders that he feels like could be next, what the situations are. And he covered that with both uh, the main event and the co-main event. So check it out. But if we have some time, obviously, we'll circle back and, and, and throw some names out. Of course, Rose Nama Yunus is a name that pops out. Robert Whitaker. Um, but again, in the main event, we feel like the immediate rematch is warranted, will happen. In the co-main event, we're not sure. That's probably one that could have some different types of discussions. But we got to move on. Let's move on to Dustin Poirier against Michael Chandler goes, what a fight. I mean, <laughs> you can watch it three, four, five times, and even though you know the result, you still can get goosebumps, man, just because of how courageous they are, how crazy they are. Like, um, those guys, man, they really, really love competing to hurt the other human being, obviously, to win the fight, but they also know how to captivate a crowd. Now, a lot of it's done because they are Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler with incredible resumes, but I still feel like they just, I don't know, man. When they are out there, they are, it's like, they go from one move to the next, to the next, to the next, and it's so seamless, and they do it so well that you don't have time to be disappointed at all. Like, they, they don't really go down the route of um, doing anything that slows down. It's a, it's a fast pace. They can take a lot of pain as well. They have high thresholds in that regard. But, I mean, this was incredible because Poirier – Really, really put it on Chandler. And I thought, man, with the momentum, you know, that Poirier is, is coming out of off that stool in round two, I just thought, oh, it's not going to go good for Chandler, man. His, his gas tank's kind of depleted, you know. And instead, Chandler put it on Poirier, you know, mm-hmm. and he used his wrestling. And so now I thought going coming out of round three, even though Poirier didn't look as tired as I thought he might, because he looked pretty dejected when he got off the ground. He had no answer for for Chandler's ground game. Um, he came right back and said, Oh, yeah, well, watch this. Hold my beer. That was that fight was just pure insanity. I'm concerned for Michael Chandler, though. If you were to if you were to print out his face at the end of like his last 12 fights or something, you wouldn't even be able to tell which ones he won and which ones he lost. Because even in wins. He puts it all out there, and this is just too much damage, dude. And this is a guy that really, if you go back and you look at some of these fights, like the Justin Gagey fight, even you go back and look at the Charles Oliveira fight, if he just used, if he just fought to his strengths, okay, which he kind of did in round two of that fight, his career trajectory could be so different right now. You know, I, I, I think his whole career would be so different if he just wasn't such a badass, like he has to save himself from himself. And um, for as entertaining as it is, bro, I I just don't, I, I that's your body is going through a lot, man. A lot. George, if I told you, um, Hey man, if I came home looking like Michael Chandler and I go, dude, I just got jumped by like 10 people. 
if I did that like 10 times or something, I'm not going to be the same guy, right? By that 10th time, I'm going to be coming in and you're going to be going, bro, what the, what is going on here? Like, you, he just can't keep doing this. Even Dustin Poirier, like the weird thing is Dustin Poirier gets the win. And I don't even really like, I don't know what to talk about here because in in round two, he didn't look that much different than when Habib was on top of him, right? And Michael Chandler was on top of, of Dustin Poirier, and Dustin Poirier just didn't really have an answer off of his back. So what is that? That doesn't make me want to see him fight Islam Makachev. That's exactly where Islam's going to put him, right? So, like, I don't even know what to make out of this fight. I just know it was entertaining as hell. And, and Michael Chandler's name is always attached to these types of fights. Dustin Poirier, to give him credit, he's attached to a lot of good fights like this as well. I just hope the UFC is taking care of these guys. I hope they're paying them way more than whatever we think they are getting because that is the reason why you're buying these pay-per-views. When you see these names, you go, hell yeah, these guys always deliver. They deserve to be paid more than what they get. Mm -hmm. I agree on that. All right, so I think with Chandler, he was smarter than he was in the Gagey fight because in round two, he did resort to his wrestling and his ground and pound. And I thought he did very well with it. He could not secure the submission. He tried like hell. And he's ha he's gotten submissions before. So it's not like he was, you know, a fish out of water there. But he couldn't get the finish. Poirier's been submitted before. And to his credit, he defended. He allowed himself to end the round and get up and come out in round three. Uh, in round three, I thought Michael Chandler once again showed some good fighter IQ. He was a little slow in getting started. He took a couple hits, um, but he eventually found an opportunity to get the takedown. But in that takedown, he, as was explained by the fighters that were with us, he almost made the takedown too spectacular. So he lost himself in that one moment, trying to really drive Dustin Poirier. Their bodies picked up momentum, and Poirier actually wound up in the more favorable position, and that was pretty much the beginning of the end against Michael Chandler and Michael Chandler's defended against rear naked chokes as well. But this time, uh, Dustin Poirier was able to get him. Now, one thing I will say about Poirier, I think the announcer said it. I think we all kind of know it. What makes him so durable is he does get hit, but he really knows how to roll with the punch. So he doesn't always take full impact like others do. And I think that's what makes his boxing really slick is his defense. So he's got really, really nice hands. They're not the heavy hands, but they're heavy enough that they can hurt you. Um, but they're slick, they're accurate, and his defense is really, really nice. He mitigates a lot of the damage that others wind up taking because of that. Michael Chandler's defense, um, you know, I don't even want to touch on the Justin Gagey fight. He was sitting there basically inviting him to punch him. But in this fight, he was a little bit different. And Michael Chandler's always hunting, so he's rarely countering. And a lot of times, you know, when you are throwing your hands that way, you're just not going to have your opposite hand ready to defend your chin. So he got tagged up pretty good, you know. And you're right, he has taken some lumps over the years. He wouldn't have it any other way, but I'll give him credit. I thought he showed a lot of fighter IQ, resorting to the wrestling, and the wrestling almost won him that because – if he gets that takedown and does in round three what he did in round two, he pretty much would have won that fight 10-9.
And remember, in round one, he had some moments, too. He really hurt Poirier before Poirier ended strong. A lot of us thought, did Poirier come back and win it? I think we all agreed that he probably did. But, you know, Chandler had accomplished some stuff in round uh, in round one, round number one, excuse me. So uh, why Chandler didn't do to Gagey what he did to Poirier? Let's not forget, Gagey was an All-American in the Division One of, of uh, you know, the NCAA. And so... Poye is a little easier to take down is basically what I'm getting at. Um, Gagey's tougher. You know, Gagey can match those power, the, the hands, uh, the boxing, but also has some wrestling. Now, he doesn't really resort to offensive wrestling, but he usually has enough to stop you defensively. Most guys. Um, couldn't do it against Habib, but Habib just seems to be a whole other animal. And possibly Makashev, too. Now, you're right. Poye versus Makashev. It doesn't sound too appealing to me. Because I feel like Makashev is going to do what Chandler did in round two, what what uh, Nurmagomedov was able to, to do to, to win the fight. Um, Poye just doesn't really stop takedowns very well. And I don't think there, there's much of a threat on the jiu-jitsu side that will stop the Dagestani fighter, the Dagestani champion. You saw Oliveira's got as slick a jiu-jitsu as you can have on your back, and it didn't matter. So I would have rather Chandler won because I felt Chandler did have the wrestling that could maybe, you don't have to stop them all, but what if you stop a couple of takedowns? Mm-hmm. As long as you're on your feet, Chandler's a threat. He's got heavy hands. That would have been exciting to see how Makashev dealt with that. Now, if Makashev is stubborn and doesn't want to take down Poirier, he's got his hands full if he just wants to kickbox. Poirier will light him up, in my opinion. But He's not going to do that. He'll do it for a little bit of time, but basically his bread and butter is to get him down and he can, and that's why I'm not too anxious to see it. Um, That said, I mean, they already made it official. It's going to be him versus Volkanovsky, and it probably looks like Poye versus Darius. Poye seems to be into it. You know Darius will be into it because that'll be probably the biggest name he's ever fought against. So I'm already loving that. And what could be next for Chandler? I don't know. Connie Mack, maybe. Yeah, I actually I believe that's the way things should play out. Um, if Benil Dariush was anybody else, you could possibly make the argument of just wait it out. But things just haven't gone his way. You got to cash these checks while you can. And, you know, the Dustin Poirier is a winnable fight for him. So, yeah, I agree. I think that fight should be made. And then, uh, look, if you're the UFC, if you follow the UFC, you know that they do their best to put Conor McGregor in good situations, okay? But in a division like this, there really just aren't that many softballs. What can help is getting a guy who's susceptible to be to getting hit. That's Michael Chandler. He's aggressive, um, and he just came out of a war. So if you're going to try and make a big fight, I think that would be the one to do for Conor McGregor. It's a big name. Well, you can't make it your... once. He's got to announce that he's ready to go and then get in USADA. So that'll give right. Chandler enough time to get healthy. I think if USADA fights Poirier like he fought McGregor, I think he can beat McGregor. But I don't know if he'll want to do that because he can get caught up in the moments, you know, at times. Mm-hmm. Um. I will say this, Chandler and Poirier, mostly Chandler, made good points about that Makashev-Volkanovsky booking. 
they basically said, how can the champ that just won, how can his title defense be an, a guy from another weight class? Well, that's one way to look at it, and I agree with it. But the other way is the featherweight is the one that's kind of being given this privilege. It just so happens that it's not against Oliveira. It's against Makashev. But he's been doing special things, and he wants to really test himself. So he's, um, you know, they're, they're giving kind of him that privilege. And, you know, th that's kind of the way those chips are falling. But I understood um, Chandler's position on that. It doesn't matter now because Chandler lost to Poye, and Poye will probably have to fight Dariush. But uh, sometimes the fighters on fight weeks make some excellent points, and I want—I definitely wanted to bring that one up. But okay, look, I'm still getting comments on Instagram from for this take. All right, I, I, obviously, I cannot stand the fact that they made this fight, but let me try and put it to you this way again, okay? If Volkanovski were to fight. Darius or uh, Gagey or Chandler. Like, I don't know that he's favored in any of those fights. It's not just a, let alone Islam Makachev. All right. Like, I really just don't understand this. I mean, it just seems like a, a blatant cash grab. You know, again, if he, if he cleared out the featherweight division, good for you. Okay. And, and Islam Makachev has just been running over people at, at, at lightweight, you know, three, four title defenses, okay. But none of that's happened. So to me, it's just like, it's a fun fight, but I don't know that we really have time for fun fights when there are viable challengers out there. Well, I agree. I wouldn't have done the fight. Now that it's made, though, I'll support it. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't have done the fight. I thought I thought he had Arnold Allen and Josh Emmett. You know, I'd go in the order of Emmett first, then Arnold Allen, and then probably Yair Rodriguez. But um, I maybe because he's been active and he's hungry. You know, he's flying out to Abu Dhabi after having a broken hand and saying, "Nah, man, I want next. I want to be ready to go." That kind of stuff is the stuff that Dana White loves. Um, so maybe they just kind of gave him a pass because of that. But speaking of Josh Emmett, he'll be facing Yair Rodriguez for the interim featherweight title. So I like that the UFC went in that direction. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what, we're not going to hold up the division. And it always gives the winner an opportunity to get pay-per-view points when they unify against the undisputed. So the only thing to discuss here is did Arnold Allen get screwed there? Yeah. Yeah, he did. I mean, we're, I think, uh, and by the way, you know, tomorrow is spinning back click day, right? Monday morning, 9 a.m. Pacific. Catch us on YouTube. It's a live show. We're going to be discussing these types of things. But yeah, he did get screwed. Um, if you just break it down, it just make it really doesn't make much sense, all right. Other than the fact that yes, Yair Rodriguez is very entertaining and he is a very dangerous cat when he's a hundred percent. But all those stars don't really align that often, okay? When they do, yeah, there's magic, okay. But Arnold Allen's got an amazing streak, dude, and Josh Emmett's got a pretty damn good one himself. Those two made the most sense. That's the thing about the sport, and that's what's so frustrating. I, I guess if we just kind of took our hats off every once in a while and just admitted, yeah, this is a shit show, you know, we like to pretend to be a sport every now and again, but at the end of the day, this is just fun, then okay. 
but we do try and say this is a sport we do put it up there on it's up there on espn on all the different sports that you can click on where all of the other ones uh the guy at the end or the team at the end is the best team they worked their way through there they weren't just selected to play someone um yeah, I don't know. I go, I go nuts, dude. When I think about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess the one positive we can take from all this is we don't have to sit around and wait. We're already mm-hmm. what midway through November. The holidays will go by fast, and we have Davis and Figueredo versus Brandon Marino at UFC 282 in January. 283, sorry, in January. And then 284 will be in mid-February in Perth, Australia. And then after that, you know, we'll have an interim champ. We'll know if Alex is the new lightweight champ and is going to stay there or if he's going to come back and fight, you know, Unify versus the interim. And then Makashev will obviously then be fighting someone, although I believe a couple months later is right when you get um, Ramadan. And I know he observes that, so his – his career might stall for a few months in, in that, in that time before we can see him in the second half of the year. But he seems like he likes to stay busy. So I'm going to just try and stay positive and figure it out. I do want to say something about Stylebender and Chandler. Now, I don't know if Carla Sparza did this, so maybe I would throw her in the mix too, but she did answer Joe Rogan pretty respectfully, but those two man showed up to the post fight press conference. Man, I can't tell you how much I can respect warriors that come in there and answer questions. They're humble. They're honest. They're respectful. That's really, really, really good for the sport. I also think it's good for them. And I don't know if you caught either one of them. You know, Chandler was there a little bit longer. But bravo to both guys for going in there and just taking it all head on. I think it'll do, do them both a lot of good in getting over the loss and and then, you know, going forward. In fact, dare I say, I thought Izzy came off even better having lost than that last time when he won and he was telling everybody, remember, I can do your job, but you can't do mine. You know, mm-hmm. he's kind of kind of a jerk on, on that occasion. You know, and here when he lost, I thought he was nicer. He was he knew a few of the media members by their name. He answered them pretty honestly, and uh, I thought that was pretty cool, man. You got to give him his props for that. I give him a 9. I don't give him a 10, only because he came dressed as Chewbacca, and I just don't understand Stylebender. I'm just not a fan of the style. I don't know what the hell that thing was that he was wearing on him, but everything else that came out of his mouth was, was gold. It was actually pretty damn humbling. Mm-hmm. Um and, and that's the first thing I thought of George when he was saying all those things was man where was this guy the last time a mic was in front of him because his fight style is so likable when he when he's just kind of, when he kind of lets his guard down a little bit he's extremely likable it's when he has that attitude of like people owe him something or or they have to agree with what he says that that kind of turns me off a little bit but the dude can be extremely likable man and uh i just wish that part of him were were to be shown more or were to come out more i don't know how you know a lot of it's ego 
and the fact that they only perform a few times a year, so they got to make the best of it. And when something don't go right, it, it it really stings them. But right now I'm watching Darvin Ham, the new coach of the Lakers. He's talking about the great performance by the Lakers, who just got a win, right? They haven't won much this year. They've mostly mm-hmm. lost. And those are some great players. Those are three of the 75 best players the NBA's ever had that they have. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. But they're just not getting the job done. But they'll go in there. They'll answer questions. Sure, sometimes they're a little snappy, a little snarky as well. But they can correct it the very next day, you know. And they get paid a lot of money. So it's guaranteed. Maybe it's a little bit different. They go home to mansions and Rolls Royces. And, you know, Izzy won't get paid pay-per-view points the next fight. And then when he wins that one, he won't get paid the next one. Because, uh, you know, you got to... In this particular fight, wait, the next one, he would be the challenger. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the next one, he'd be the challenger, so he won't get pay-per-view points on that one. That's what I meant. So he's got to wait till the next one before he can get pay-per-view points again. Um, You know, that that part sucks when your pay goes down significantly, but we'll see. He likes to stay busy and all that, but the – I don't know where I was headed with this. I think what I was trying to just compare is that – Handling the media? Handling the media, you know, it, I wish they would learn a little bit from their the people that you know play other sports. Uh, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but still, um, I love the Lakers, but I think as a fan, I ha- I'm entitled to say, man, they suck tonight. Not tonight. Tonight they won, but when they suck, I can say that. I think fighters feel like you can't say that about their performance. And that's not true. You can say whatever you want. You can boo. You can do whatever. You know what I mean? Especially if you paid for it. Um, well, the art. Not not all their performances are going to be awesome performances. Some are just going to be good, you know? Like the 49ers, they won tonight, Goose. But I'm not that happy about the win. I'm happy with the W, but I thought there was so many things that went bad. And even at the end, I thought they had a chance to really, really make a statement and score a touchdown. Instead, they settled for a field goal. So, I, I you know, I'm a little displeased as a Niners fan. Well, I mean, I think their argument is you can't say it because you've never fought. And to me, that's just really silly. Yeah, okay, it is. And then when Dana White says it, oh, the boss, the boss, the boss. You know what I mean? Uh, The boss determines their future. Oh, the boss and Joe Silva. And they've never fought, but they had opinions. And, oh, whatever you say, you know, whatever the matchmakers say, my career's in your hands. Oh, yeah. No, no. If I make my points. And they say, you're ridiculous. I don't like your points. You've never fought before. If I were to say, well, guess what? Here's a tape. And here I am fighting. Are you telling me that fighter's going to go, now I respect all the bad things you said about me or, or whatever your opinion is. You're going to be mad. You're, that's, just, that's just life. When people say something you don't like, you don't like it. All right? And you, some people take it to heart. Some people can move on. Um, I understand why they react the way they, they do, but that's why they make the money they make. Plus, you know, like, someone can have a terrible fight and still be a superstar. That's what they yeah. don't understand. You know what I mean? You could be like 25 and 0, and I could tell you, but fight number 22 was, ooh, that was a snoozer. Like like Francis Ngannou. If Francis Ngannou were to go, what do you think of me? I'd go, you're the baddest man on the planet. Okay, what else? You'll fuck anybody up, you know, and, and you've been doing it. You have a ton of power. You're terrifying. I'd hate to fight you. You know, I'd say all those things, right? And then what am I supposed to say when it goes, do you feel like that about all my fights? Um, 
well, like the Derek Lewis one. Uh, yeah, man, that was a great fight. You know, like, hell no. I'd have to tell him that was a terrible fight, Francis. But it doesn't mean you're a terrible fighter. You're a great fighter. You're the baddest man. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's just the way it works, you know. But they got to live with that for the next few months until the next one comes along. But I've seen thousands of fights. I feel like my opinion matters. Your opinion matters. A lot of the listeners of our show, their opinions matter to me, should matter to fighters. Um, because we've seen a lot of it. We do not have had to have competed to know that. That's uh, silly talk. I Greg disagree. Jackson. Greg Jackson never fought. Eric Nixick never fought. And yet these guys are the ones that put the game plans together. And and they're very well respected. I think I would lie to Francis Ngannou. He's absolutely terrifying. Even when he smiles. You thought the Derek Lewis fight was exciting? I go, oh, baby, I was on the edge of my seat. (laughs) I try and get the hell out of the gym as fast as I can. But Francis Ngannou is terrifying, dude. I know. All right. Chris Gutierrez defeated Frankie Edgar. Dan Hooker defeated Qu- uh, Claudio Puelas. So with Gutierrez, I mean, he got the job done quick. Two minutes, he delivered a knee right down the pipe, man, right down the middle. Frankie Edgar was stiff as a board. So sad to see in his final fight in the UFC, probably MMA with his family there. It was the first fight his little daughter Valentina had seen, and they focused on them. As Frankie had gotten in the octagon, I was like, oh, my gosh, they must be so scared And right now, you know, because seeing their dad like that. But, uh, yeah, he just – he does not look like he used to look. In fact, he looked again like a, a small 35-er. What this guy did at lightweight is amazing, but Gutierrez looked like a way bigger guy than him. Yeah, this fight was – it didn't even really develop too much, you know. Um that's just not how I can take Frankie Edgar leaving on a loss, but the way that fight kind of played out, it just, it just doesn't re- represent uh, Frankie Edgar. So like in, in other sports, you'll see some of our favorite stars uh, towards the end. You know, maybe it's not like the Michael Jordan you remember, but he's still throwing up like 20 points or something. You know what I mean? This just didn't have that. And I feel bad, but at the same time, I don't want him to come back. I don't want him to come back in MMA or boxing. I, I think that guy has accomplished so much. He just needs to walk away from the sport, be very proud of what he's done, and that's it, and, and call it a career. It's been phenomenal. Yeah. Hopefully he saved his money well. He can start up a business, stay involved in MMA somehow. I don't know. He seems like a stand-up guy. I salute him. He'll be a Hall of Famer one day. Should be a first ballot, honestly. He's very special. And um, it's just unfortunate he went he went out the way he did. It kind of ruined my night a little bit. But how about Dan Hecker and Claudio Puelas? Boy, when Puelas locks up on your knees, I, I, I it's not like the most exciting to me thing to me, but it's pretty damn unique. And the fact that he makes other grown men tap, you know, and they know it's coming. Now, Puelas could not get this damn thing going, but finally he got one of those rolls in, and Hooker could not get out. And Hooker's leg was in there for a while, and it was past, you know, the top of his knee was past the hip joint where it looked like, okay, a knee bar could come anytime now. But Hooker stayed calm, composed. It looked like he was prepared. And when the moment was there, he got out of it, and then he was able to, uh, you know, get his game going. 
So congratulations to him. That's that is not an easy out, man. Uh, Freaking uh, Claudio Puelles is like I said, he's had three alone just in the UFC of these leg locks, and um, instead he took a, a body kick from Dan Hooker that shut him down. You, you just you got to have a plan B and a plan C as a mixed martial artist, no matter how devastating you are. Um, you know, we think of like in boxing, Mike Tyson was a menace, but he had plan B. Like he could box. Um, Claudio Puel is just, he had one thing he was going to try the whole night and it just wasn't working out. And he just kept trying and kept trying. He was, he was basically a Mike Tyson's punch out character. You know what I mean? And it, it just, everything else didn't work. All you had to do was avoid uh, the, the big, obnoxious uppercut or whatever those those characters have um he had no plan b and you just you can't be successful in the ufc like that you have to be somewhat well-rounded yeah agreed i mean he threw a nice a couple nice punches and a couple decent kicks but it, it wasn't ufc level the, the ground game is his bread and butter and if he can get you there obviously you're in trouble but if not like ghost said he becomes a very very average fighter um and when it's exposed, he's not going to be one of those that can survive three losses. Like, you got to win a lot of your fights if you want to stay in the UFC because, uh, like I say, when 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 it doesn't go your way, you, you just look like you don't belong. I was rooting for the guy, man, really. Nothing against Hooker, but our mom's proving. So I thought, okay, this might be a good guy to, to back here. But, yeah, um, didn't work out. Hanato Moicano, he defeated Brad Riddell. Ryan Spann obliterated Dominic Reyes. Aaron Blanchfield smothered Molly McCann. And Andre Pertoski defeated Wellington Terman. Talk about those four, any of those, all of them, whatever. They were all pretty fun to, to watch. That Blanchfield fight, man. Jesus Christ, dude. She was – you're going to watch that fight and you're going to think – Molly Meatball McCann didn't deserve to be there. She's a bad fighter. You're wrong. She I'm not going to say she's a great fighter. She's a good fighter. She just got completely dominated by this girl. And this is somebody that I feel like is going to keep improving in a division that needs new blood. You know, I, I think uh, Aaron's got the, the makings of being somebody that could be fighting at the top very soon. Yeah. She lost so much of her momentum. She's had an incredible 2022. And I, Graham Boylan is a friend of our show. He is the Cage Warriors promoter, as well as the manager of Meatball Molly. And by the way, I know a few people think, what about the Muhammad Ali Act, the whole promoter and manager thing? You got to remember, that's only in the United States. So I don't think it's looked at as, unethical in another country the way it is here and remember for mma it hasn't even been adopted it's just something that uh is not looked upon uh highly by by some but i did want to clear at least that up i mean they are british so uh could be just a whole different set of uh, rules down there anyway but i would want to ask graham why did you accept this fight if i didn't have so much respect for him i'd probably tell him what the fuck who are you guys thinking accepting this fight like that right with some high tone but no, I'd say, hey, man, listen, let me ask you this. 
I think it's a fair question. Well, why did you guys take that fight? I mean, this, this is like literally the the uh, kryptonite for someone like Molly McCann, you know. And and the thing is, is when she makes you look bad, Aaron Blanchfield, she makes you look bad. I was telling the guys, this is like John Fitch right now. Uh, he's getting ready to fight, you know. Um, it's not going to be exciting. Most of the time it was a decision. At least Aaron, you know, did get the finish. But uh, she just makes you feel like you, you may not even belong, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would wonder that, and I would wonder why the matchmakers would want to do this to Molly. Usually when they find themselves a star in the making, they kind of coddle them a little bit. Yeah, that. I mean, you love that pairing, right? Um, so breaking them up was kind of weird. I thought you kind of ride that momentum until one of them loses with Patty Pimblett. But yeah, like just none of it really made any sense. It, it was so odd. Um, Aaron completely dominated from the beginning to end. Yeah. I mean, that crucifix was unapologetic. She got out of it like three times, you know, and then when and then when she did get out of it, it it's like, oh, yeah, well, watch what I'm about to do to your arm and how I'm going to rip it out of its socket. Like, I mean, she is strong. Oh, man. If she can get some striking going like that is really, really going to be a tough, tough fight for everyone all the way up to Valentina Shevchenko. She's -hmm. still not at Valentina Shevchenko's level because she still needs to beat other fighters along the way. But it's promising. Aaron Blanchfield's a problem, and she's promising. Yeah. As far as Ryan Spann goes, kudos to him. I was telling the guys, hey, I like his submissions actually more than his striking, but his striking was on point. And Dominic Reyes, I don't know what to say now any longer. Does he need time off? Does he need a new camp? Well, he's had all that. But, you know, he was hurt in the fight, but yet he kept coming forward instead of resorting to a plan B, which could be wrestling. He's wrestled. Uh, tying him up in a clinch of some way, or just maybe avoiding engagement until you can fully, really, really clear the cobwebs. But you could tell he was still, you know, probably seeing double. Bells were ringing, and yet he kept kind of coming forward. I mean, he literally said, here I am, take me. (laughs) This one confused me a little bit. I feel really bad because Dominic seemed like a, a person that had completely changed his like mindset. He just seemed happy is really what it was. If you listen to anything he said before the fight, um, he even apologized to like some media members for, for giving them bad interviews in the past and, or being grumpy. He was just in such a good place. And then to see that happen, oh man, it was tough. And, and really it was just pinpoint striking. It really was like, you could say what you will about some of these fighters sometimes in their chins and you feel like maybe they're becoming chinny. Those punches put most people out. It doesn't matter who you are. They just landed right on the, the button. They were good shots. Dominic's defense probably uh, let down for a little bit, but you just can't make those mistakes. And the higher the weight class, the the less less of a chance you have of surviving these mistakes. You know, and before he lost his four in a row, people forget he fought Cannoneer. He fought uh, Volcan Ozdemir. Those guys have some heavy hands. You know, he got past them. Uh, but that fight with John Jones, I know it took a little bit out of him, 
but that fight was in two, 2020. He was 30, 30 back then. He's 32 now. And I felt like he could overcome that, you know. But then you got the KO versus Blahovich. Then you got the KO versus Prochaska. All killers, all former champs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then now Ryan Spann. I mean, that's three vicious KOs in two years. He hadn't fought, luckily, in 18 months since the Prochaska loss. So he took the time off. And like I say, he relocated to Connecticut with Glover Teixeira and that crew. But I don't know. I don't know what to do about this right now because that's four vicious. Well, the Jones fight went to a decision, but there's, you know, still, I mean, there was some damage in that fight. Um, I really like this guy, man. He was a Laker guy. He was a SoCal guy. I was hoping that he would, you know, he'd kind of be a force. But I, I, I really, uh, I don't know what could be next for this man. Time off. But uh, even then, when he comes back, it's like, I don't know that you could put together any type of run that uh, would make people want to look at you for a title. Like, it's this is difficult. Yeah. I don't know. Otman Oizatar had been off for almost two years. He got steamrolled by Matt Frivola. Uh, huge, huge win for the New Yorker. Carolina Kovacavich defeated Silvana. Uh, Gomez Juarez, Michael Trezano, another New Yorker, rose to the occasion. He beat Choi Sung Woo, Montel Jackson defeated Julio Arce, and Carlos Albert got the night started against Nikolai Negumaranu. <laughs> uh, a first hey, round man. KO stoppage there. So, if you're keeping tabs on City Kickboxing, they went two and two wins by Hooker and Alberg, losses by Riddell and Adesanya. Um, the bonuses went to Poirier and Chandler for fight of the night, and Pejeda and Zhang Weili for performance of the night. You know what my problem with this is, goes? The fighters came to fight. There have been cards that did not produce the gate that this card produced and the pay-per-views that it probably produced, and yet they got everyone that finished, they got a bonus. Why did this one not go that way? This one was violent from start to finish. I mean, how do you honestly tell some of these fighters, no, you're not getting 50 Gs when some of the ones in London got it, some of the ones in Singapore got it? I mean, Carlos Ulberg, that was a nasty KO. He was the first fight of the night, right? Mm-hmm. Trisano, I thought that was a thing of beauty as well. Steamroller. Like, he beat an undefeated fighter. Aaron Blanchfield almost ripped her arm off. She didn't get one. Um, Moicano was pretty slick even in submitting uh, Brad yeah. Brad Riddell. Hooker's kick to the body, that's rare. Nope, no bonus. Um, Gutierrez's knee, nah. Just Pajeda and Wei Li. Give me a fucking break, man. I mean, to be, well, I guess Poye was part of the Chandler fight, so we'll leave that one alone. But I was going to say, even that was nice. You know, he submitted a high-level guy. But Gutierrez's knee, that doesn't get a bonus? Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I wish one day somebody would just sit down and just go, well, "What the fuck?" Like, just tell us what the the recipe is here. Because, like I've always said, man, if you're one of those fighters that you named, you would sit down with your boss and just go, "Well, what did I do wrong? Like, what didn't you like, so that I can change it, so that next time I can be eligible for this bonus, right?" What would what would the UFC say? Like, what is it? It really just comes down to we like certain fighters more than others, or 
I, I just don't understand it. Because at that point, then I'll I'll fucking coast to a decision at that point then. I mean, I I don't know. They made a million. This was the UFC's chance to flex. They made $11 off the gate. They were number two highest gate ever. And guess what? They also hold number one. MSG loves them so much, they want them to come twice a year now. Remember, they go to Brooklyn once and once to MSG. But they want them so bad, they want to go. Why would the UFC want that? I mean, they took over Times Square. You know, I don't know how they did on the pay-per-view front, but on the gate and the buzz, owned it. So this was their chance to flex. If you're going to do that for the Singapore card and you're not going to do it for this one, when you had the fighters deliver this way, oh, man, I'm disappointed in that regard. Yeah. All right, folks. So, look, that's, look. there's probably a lot more, obviously. There was a fight outside the garden, too, <laughs> a small one. The 209 crew ran into Dylan Dallas and uh his people and one of them got slapped for it so uh check that out on the front page of mma junkie that got definitely a lot of traction that was early in the morning and then around noon we got some bad news some uh unfortunate news the passing of anthony johnson anthony rumble johnson former welterweight and light heavyweight in the ufc he also fought at fought excuse me at light heavyweight sorry at heavyweight, at WSOF, he even fought at Bellator. This guy was ruthless inside the cage. I mean, a KO machine. And with Gozenai, always nice, always kind. We knew that he was ill. We didn't know the specifics, but we heard that he was ill and that he might be uh, in need of some prayers, but that, you know, maybe things could pull through. So in my mind, I thought, well, that sounds to me like perhaps he's fighting a, a cancer. But they really, really kept this thing under wraps. And you know how this sport is. It goes from one week to the next. Um, I would have loved to have checked in on him and sent him some sort of a message. Hey, hi, how you doing? Hopefully you're on the road to recovery, you know. But I, I never shot that off. The last time goes and I saw him was, a few minutes after the Billy Idol concert in May before the world shut down in 2020. So literally two and a half years ago. And before that, we saw him in late 2019 at Mike Tyson's ranch in El Segundo um, when he was part of the Dominance MMA Media Day. And both times, man, just had some pleasant conversations. And um, this one really, really hurt. Goes to yeah. a young guy to lose his life, what, at 38 years old, I believe, right? Something like that, yeah. I think even younger. Um, yeah, what, what can we say? I mean, good memories with him. You know, we've had him on so many times before. Um, and each time our conversations have been so different because he's gone through so many stages of his mixed martial arts career. You know, we've actually interviewed him before, asking him about his uh, welterweight belt. You know what I mean? Like, I know that sounds ridiculous to maybe somebody who just caught the tail end of his career, but yeah, he's fought as low as welterweight before. The guy's done so much, and um, when you look at it, like his highlights, sometimes you'll go back and you'll look at like old NFL quarterbacks or something, and you look at them and you just go, well, I'm sure he was impressive in his day, but today I don't think uh, he could do this against these types of defenses or whatever. You can look at Anthony Johnson 50 years from now, and he would probably still scare the shit out of you, right? You would just go, oh, my God. Like, that just looked like a dude 
that could hit you with anything, his hands, his feet, his knees, elbows. He was a monster, dude, and uh, he'll definitely be missed as a person and as an athlete. Yeah. He uh, Look at some of the names that he put away by KO. Uh, I'm going to focus more on just the heavier weight classes because, you know, he did it at, at welterweight. But um, Mike Kyle, Antonio Hogera Noguera, I'll get back to that one. Alexander Gustafson, Jimmy Manoa, Ryan Bader, Glover Teixeira. I mean, he turned their lights out. And then he turned some lights out, obviously, Charlie Brenneman. I remember that one. Yoshiki, Yo, Yoshiyuki Yoshida. Kevin Burns, head kick there. I was at the fight when he beat um, No Garagos in San Jose. When, you know, I don't know if they still do it, but when all the fans and the media and everybody goes back to the fighter hotel, just kind of parties it, you know, together. On this occasion, we did that. And I remember as each one of the fighters kind of came through the door, they'd get a round of applause, especially the winners. And then they'd get with their crews and, you know, get together and drink or eat or whatever, right? Man, I still remember when Little Nog came through the door. He had like an, like an ice pack and his hoodie on, and somebody was still guiding him. You could tell, like, that guy was fucked up. Like, if you didn't know that he had been on the card, you would believe that he had just gotten run run over outside by a car. Mm-hmm. Like he looked like he was messed up. He just was having trouble putting one step in front of the other. Like yeah, that was a rough night at the office for him. Um but yeah, Anthony, you know, he did have his issues making weight. I remember the first time when he fought Clemente was here in Anaheim. And he missed weight, and he just kind of went, well, what do you want from me? But that one was him taking the fight on late notice. So that's why nobody mm-hmm. really held that one against him. But I remember in L.A., they were carrying him across the street to the weigh-ins just so he could make weight. And, um, you know, we knew that that cat was getting bigger. And then they go, well, how about you versus Vitor in Brazil? Let's just move you up the middleweight. And you're thinking, okay, well, this guy now gets, a few, you know, 15 pounds more to play with. <laughs> he misses weight there, too. Um so that's when he said, well, fuck it. I'll just go to light heavyweight. And then what does he do? He fights for the title two times. Yeah. Came up short. Uh, but still, you know, he made it up the title challenger in the highest levels. And so. I was telling Laura today about uh, when we would get him to take a, a shot in the studio. Oh, I forgot about those. Yeah. And he, uh, he just didn't. He wasn't a drinker, you know, but he would do it for us. And it was always funny. And. I just remember him doing it one time in studio. Back then, our show was like 9 a.m., right? So he's doing a shot probably around 10 a.m. or some shit. And it was, I think it was, te- it was tequila, I think. Mm-hmm. But we went to a party later on, that probably like around 5 or 6 at the earliest. But I want to say it was about 7. And we ran into him. And he goes, hey, I'm still fucked up from that shot. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, what? You're like 200 and... 30 pounds and he's like i never drink and we're just, i just remember laughing with him about and that. his eyes were red too yeah yeah we did a few shots with him but i remember that one was one that really really rattled him pretty good 
Well, rest in peace, Anthony Johnson. Our deepest condolences to your family, to your friends, to your teammates. You know, social media had some very kind messages from a lot of people. And um, hopefully his family and friends get to read that. But uh, we will see you again one day, sir. And uh, maybe with that goes, that's probably a good time for us to bow out. We got spinning back click tomorrow, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Live. Jump on in there, folks. Check it out. Uh, you can. We have a chat room where you can contribute to the show. I'll admit it. Last week, I didn't really check the chat too much. But the last couple of weeks, I have. And if, you're, if you have a question or a statement, you know, I'm trying to read as many as I can that are relevant to the topics that we have. So jump in there and. And uh, be a part of it. Spinning backlinks, spinning backlinks, excuse me, Monday, sorry, Mondays at noon, Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Myself goes, some of our colleagues were there for about almost an hour discussing all the latest topics in mixed martial arts. All right, for now, that is our Junkie Radio Show for Sunday night, November 13th, Monday morning, November 14th. Oh, and I don't know if I said it, but I hope you all had a nice Veterans Day. Thank you to all the men and women who have served our country. And it's a very important day, in my opinion, for our country and for us to acknowledge that. And I'm glad that it's a it's an official holiday that's observed like that. And hopefully that's not the only day that you're told how much your service means to us. No. I try and do it as often as I can when I see somebody. Uh, that has served our country, active or veterans, you know, but a special one to our pops who served from 1962 to 1964 in the United States Army. All right, folks, we're going to bounce on out of here. Enjoy uh, your day, and we'll see you all on Thursday. Go out and be a champion.